I don't remember his name. Some of you might remember. I don't remember the year. It's a poorly investigated sermon illustration. I'll admit that off at the get-go. But there was a YouTube sensation a few years ago who got into some street fights. Uh, I was able to, just this massive mountain of a guy, just able to knock people out left and right. So he was the next big thing going into uh, MMA, mixed martial arts, um, which I also don't really care about, like with most sports to watch. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Uh, but uh, he went in against a trained fighter, and, and he got owned uh, better on the street than he was in the, the ring, apparently. So you can be really good, uh, really popular, really effective, until some method of comparison can start to uh, show that there's a difference between you, even if you think you're good, even if other people think you're good, and someone else. Uh, so then as we think about, so I think about uh, just a quick run over through scripture, consider the ministries of Moses or of Joshua, even the words that Moses, we heard read for us today from, from Exodus, we think about their ministries, I mean, not just the miracles of parting the Red Sea, uh, but the effectiveness and the enduring effectiveness of their word, the words that Joshua had and what his ministry involved leading God's people, of entering the promised land, conquering those things, speaking God's word and those great, those great truths spoken at the end, right? Standing with God's people gathered. I just kind of like, look, I'm going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. What about you? I mean, what a, just an epic, uh, epic sermon. You think about Elijah and Elisha, right? Pointing his finger in Ahab's face. It's not going to rain until my word. And then it didn't. Three and a half Years. Then he stands on Mount Carmel, opposes the prophets of Baal, calls down fire from heaven. The enemies of God are executed. This is amazing ministry. Elisha did even more than that. We can consider other aspects of people's ministries that we read about in the Word of God and the ways that it was used. Like, for example, a little bit of a passage from Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, he runs out, he, he goes through a few examples. And, and what more shall I say? Time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. It's like amazing success that happened to those who have trusted God, seen in their ministry, recorded in God's word. Then there's the other side. Some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. I think that was Isaiah. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth." We consider the preaching of Jesus. Have you thought about the fact that basically when Jesus preached, the crowds either tried to kill him or they tried to crown him king? Kind of no middle ground. When the apostles preached Pentecost, other times, thousands were converted following single sermons, thousands turning in faith and repentance to Christ, or they were persecuted severely, sometimes to the point of death. So we see these two responses of massive amounts of sex, success or death, sharp, crushing persecution. I heard someone say at one point, uh, when you preached, did anybody get saved or did anybody get mad? Because if nobody got saved and nobody got mad, then you didn't preach. You only thought you did. It was this North Carolina type accent, so it had a little bit of hick weight to it. Did anybody get saved? Did anybody get mad? Are those the proper categories to evaluate preaching? Elijah on Mount Carmel, Isaiah that nobody listened to, right? And that type of, is that the proper, are those the proper categories? This is a massively important question to me personally. Uh, one I consider weekly, every Sunday afternoon, uh, many Monday mornings, sometimes it stretches a little bit on. Uh, that's not hyperbole. You can ask Leanne, right? There's the, the gathering and the buildup and the excitement of that thing. Then the sermon's done. We talk for an hour, and then it's just like, okay, 
Now what? Do we judge preaching by its fruitfulness? Anybody get saved? Anybody get mad? Do we judge preaching by the immediate visible responses of the people who heard the sermon? Good job, preacher. Good job. Good job. Nice sermon. Feel free to continue saying that, but it's just, even if all of you did, uh, I know that it's, that, that's not enough. That's, that's not the evaluation. That's not going to work. Fruitfulness. I believe there's another category, though, better and more relevant for us to consider, me to consider, you to consider, better than fruitfulness, because I believe that fruitfulness lies exclusively in the hands of God. And that category is faithfulness. And more important than fruitfulness is faithfulness. I actually think that all of us, that, that none of us are actually called to the fruitfulness of change in other people's lives, right? Bear much fruit, prove to be my disciples. Yes, fruit of loving one another, good works that God produces in us. Uh, but you cannot be fruitful in any ministry that you have. You, God is fruitful. You must be faithful. I cannot be fruitful. I must be faithful. So what is faithful preaching? How do we evaluate preaching to determine if it is faithful? Colossians chapter 1, 28 to 29. We're getting to the end of the chapter. Wow. As Paul writes to the Colossians, he gives, I think, a philosophy of his ministry, particularly a philosophy of his preaching that we can use as a mirror or a standard to evaluate faithful preaching. I'm going to read a whole paragraph here, Colossians 1, 24 to 29. Please follow along as I read. Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. The church of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him. Who? Christ. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. An evaluation of faithful preaching, I think four things here. Faithful preaching centers on Christ. Faithful preaching includes both practice and doctrine. Faithful preaching pursues spiritual maturity, and faithful preaching depends on divine strength. We'll take each of these in turn if you didn't write them all down, because you're not supposed to at that point. Faithful preaching, first of all, centers on Christ. This is where Paul starts, right at the beginning of verse 28. You see it where I do, right? Him we proclaim. Already mentioned that. You know, closest pronouns, point to a noun, closest noun, Christ. Christ who is in you, he is the one that we are proclaiming. Two kind of significant words that you see in the New Testament talking about basically the same thing of proclaiming and preaching. A lot of times that just has to do, those are, those are overlapping terms, Okay, so it's just like, this is not just in, just in a private conversation. This is the broad dissemination of information, right? Not planting one seed, you're, you're scattering all of them, right? Not just whispering about it, but, but shouting about it. Christ, we proclaim. Paul, another place, says, like, this is what we preach. We are preaching Christ among you. Him, he is the one we proclaim. He says another place in Acts. When we talk about preaching, when we talk about faithfulness, we need to see that humanity, you, me, we're not the center of this. Christ is the center of this. Right? You, you come for what you need, right? I come for what I need, but that's but what we need isn't what we think we need. I mean, you, you think you need something, but what you need is Christ. Who you need is Christ. The Christ that we must proclaim, the Christ who must be the center of our faithful preaching. Well, what about Christ must we proclaim? Can't you just say, preach Christ? Would you just come and just say, Christ? Christ! Well, that would be an easy sermon. You just do that for 50 minutes. Uh, at least it would be repetitious. But what about Christ are we to proclaim? Well, that's, 
Well, that's every week, actually. <laughs> I was like, that would take a whole lot of sermons. And it's like, well, actually, if faithful preaching centers on Christ, then that's every sermon. But what exactly about Christ is to be proclaimed? And even if we just do a quick, quick survey of what Paul has already said in Colossians, we could look at verse 13 and 14. We could proclaim and emphasize the fact that Christ is our Redeemer. He is our Redeemer, our Rescuer from the domain of darkness. We could look at the fact that he is our divine Lord, verses 15 to 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, etc. Over both the old creation and the new creation, Christ is divine, Christ is Lord. There are other lords, little ones, and there's the Lord. One of the girls this week, I, don't, I think it was this week, said we, there was something where somebody else was a Lord, and they were like, no. <laughs> like, one Lord. I was like, good, yeah. Well, there are, but, but you're on the right track. Christ is our divine Lord, so we proclaim that. We did. We will continue. He is our reconciler, verse 21 through 23. One who has reconciled us in his body of flesh, in his death on the cross. He has brought us back together with God. And even last week, what is this mystery, this richest, rich, glorious, great, among the Gentiles mystery, uh, ordained by God, hidden from everyone, revealed to some, now proclaimed, uh, which is Christ in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. All of these things we seek to, to preach about Christ. Paul has already proclaimed Christ, even in just saying these different things. And he's laid that foundation, be like, this is, what, this is what our ministry is about. Not just this letter, but everything, that I must proclaim Christ to you. So I still wonder, though, like, what, uh, what does that mean? Like, I'd love to get up and just share everything that I know about Jesus every sermon. Um, do you have ears to hear that? Do you have the endurance to listen to that? But is that actually what this means? Like all of Christ in every text? Uh, that's kind of a young preacher thing. I'm a young adolescent preacher, maybe. Do I get to claim, do I get to claim that? Is that accurate? Um, where it's just like, here's everything that I know. And everything that I know, I'm going to say in every single text. <laughs> Is that what we're supposed to do about Christ? So in every text, we're just kind of like, all right, Christ, pre-existent, Christ, born of a virgin, Christ lived this sinless life, uh, fulfilling God's law, Christ's death on the cross, Christ's resurrection, Christ's ascension, Christ's second coming. Uh, it's just a few bullet points. If you don't give all of it every sermon, you haven't proclaimed Christ. Is that... Is that what we're supposed to do? Is that what faithful preaching is? Is that what it means to center on Christ? And I would say that it's not. There, there's, there's, there are books, there are talks on this idea, this Christ-centered preaching, and I think, um, yes, but if I remember, if I, if I heard the story correctly, a man named Brian Chappell, who's taught on this, wrote a book called Christ-Centered Preaching, also emphasized uh, his definition of that is, is a gospel-centered preaching, and this does not just mean you preach whatever you preach and then you give a gospel presentation, which is how some also would say, this is how we proclaim Christ. Talk about whatever you want, give the gospel at the end, give an invitation, that's faithful proclamation of Christ. I would say, no, that's not the case. I think that, it, that these five things, maybe all of them, maybe just some of them, make up the sum of gospel or Christ-centered preaching. And so sometimes multiple aspects of these things that we're going to go through, some, sometimes multiple of them would be found in a sermon. One, at least one of them will be found in every text, okay, and therefore must be proclaimed. And over the course of a ministry, not everything said in every sermon, but in preaching the whole counsel of God over the period of not just weeks, not just months, but over years, maybe even over the course of a lifetime, all of these things are regularly addressed in every text so that you know what the proclamation of Christ is. Here's, here's a just, here are the five that I think. First, the foundation, Christ as creator. Verses 15 to 20 talk about that, right? He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. So we have to have a foundation for the gospel of God's lordship over us, specifically Christ's lordship, godship over us because he is our creator. How did we get here? Christ is our creator. That's the foundation. 
And then out of that foundation of who God is and our subservience to him as creator, we find out about our need. We just went from Genesis 1 and 2 to Genesis chapter 3. Our need is that we are sinners. That is a gospel point that must be emphasized. The foundation that we have an obligation to God, our need is that we have broken that obligation. Then there's his grace that Christ is our savior. So we could think that's the only part of proclaiming Christ, but it's not, right? The need has to be proclaimed. The foundation has to be proclaimed, but his grace has to be proclaimed as well. We have our sin. He has his grace. His grace comes to his people in the person of Christ. We see these things multiplied in a number of different texts, sometimes kind of hidden, sometimes in that mystery type sense that we see Christ revealed in those type of things, other times more overtly. Then we see the importance of our response of faith and repentance. Hebrews 11 defines the stories of God's people throughout the Old Testament as a relationship to God by faith. And we see from a number of different places, there is no faith where there is not repentance because of our need. Repentant faith, believing repentance. These things are two sides of the same coin. Christ, or gospel-centered preaching, will talk about the necessary response of faith and repentance. And then finally, the goal of all things. that We've started with the foundation, Christ as creator, and we're moving to the glory of Christ, the end of all things, from him through him, to him are all things, to him be the glory. So how are we here? Christ. Why are we here? Christ. In the middle, we messed up. Christ stepped in. We trust him. So Christ-centered preaching, that is faithful preaching, will outline one or more of these different things. All five, these are not the five points for every single one of my sermons, Faithful preaching gets, paints these pictures in all of the different texts to, to drive us to Christ. Him we proclaim, who he is, what he has done, our need for what he has done, the end for that need, why, all those different things. They all center and build off of Christ. Him we proclaim. Faithful preaching centers on Christ. Faithful preaching also includes practice and doctrine, or it's, it's practical and it's doctrinal. This is the next phrase. Him we proclaim, uh, warning everyone. That's first, warning everyone. This can also be translated admonishing. And warning or admonishing can often point to giving counsel about, so avoiding, or ceasing from an improper course. Oh, where, where are you headed? We're about to embark on a, on a large family adventure, a large cross-country trip. This is like, well, don't take Interstate X because whatever reason. If you know, please tell us. I'm trusting, uh, trusting Siri to, to do a good job. Uh, warning and admonishing us because thinking of roads, thinking of paths, thinking of courses, there is a widely traveled interstate that leads to destruction. Countless on-ramps. Did you know that? In your life, right? This is a metaphor, so I'm not talking about our cross-country trip. All sorts of ways that you could find yourself on the widely well-traveled popular path to destruction. Many find it. Many ways to get onto it. But there's a small country road that leads to life. You must find and follow that. Few do. You must. You must avoid the easy, popular, well-traveled path that leads to destruction. You must find the path that leads to life. Christ said that, right? Christ is that path. Reading aspects of the Pilgrim's Progress, love how, uh, how John Bunyan just uh, leans in on that. And the whole thing is that, that journey, that walk, that path. So many different ways to lead off of that. Last night, uh, Christiana, uh, do you know there's a book too? Nobody knows, nobody seems to know there's a book too. Do you know that? There's two. It's not just Christian. Christian's just book one. And his wife, Christiana, and this kid's version that we have, it's his, uh, his sister, because it's for little kids. So that's cool. But Christiana and her kids also follow the pilgrim's path to the celestial city. It's great to be thinking about those type of things. Right? But there's constant warnings, constant dangers to those type of things. 
We need to know the practical applications of what it means to follow Christ. Faithful preaching will do that. This is dangerous. This is safety. This is what the word says, right? Involving aspects of our daily lives. That's an aspect of that warning, that aspect of admonishing. Paul wants to warn everyone. He also wants to teach everyone. Teaching, instructing about truth. I mean, we know what it means to teach math or science or history, right? We start by explaining the basics. We gradually build on those basics to introduce knowledge of the complexities as well. Some of us want to just be content with just the rudimentary basics or what, you know, even scripture says is the milk of God's word to use a different metaphor for those type of things. It's like, I don't want to get into any of that complex stuff. I know these bare minimum basics, and that's all that I need to know. Paul says, no, there's, there's a continued need for instruction. You need to be taught, and if you need to be taught, then you need to learn. This is that doctrinal side of things. Doctrine is important, and everyone is a theologian. R.C. Sproul coined that as a book. Everyone is a theologian. Oh, I don't, I'm no theologian. Yes, you are. <laughs> uh, you are a theologian. It's like, oh, I'm not a mathematician. I'm not a biologist. It's like, well, have you ever added coins together? It's like, yeah, well, I'm, no ma- I'm no mathematician. It's like, well, you use math, right? Everyone, everybody uses math. You might use it badly. <laughs> use it wrongly, but you're using Math. I'm, I'm no physicist, but you're not going to like throw hopefully something like a bowling ball up above your head and stand there looking at it, shocked that it smashes you in the face. Well, I'm no physicist. I'm no theologian. It's like, well, you believe something about God. Atheists, an a-theologian, not theist, is a, still a theologian, one who rejects the fact that God exists, right? So they've made a conclusion about who God is. You believe something about God actually implanted in you, in your soul, eternity, and a void for God, the image of your creator. That's Romans 1, a whole other text. Talk about preaching all these texts without preaching these texts. It's actually quite difficult. So doctrine is important. You need to be warned in the details of your daily life. Faithful preaching will do that. You need to be taught who you are, who God is, who Christ is. And that's not for somebody else. That's not just for the pastor. Everyone needs to be taught these things. Get to that in a minute. Warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. Paul's talked about wisdom. You remember back in verse nine, four months ago? Paul prayed for them, asking that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Wisdom includes both that practical knowledge and the doctrinal knowledge. And being able to see the interaction of those type of things. I think in a, in a sense, that's, that's what we think of as, as wisdom, not just knowing things. This, these are the things that a Christian is supposed to do. These are the things that a Christian is supposed to believe. But it's an integration of practice and doctrine into our daily lives. While we think of, of wisdom from the book of Proverbs, it's not just what you do with your money, but it's because who God is what you do with your money. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Right? Fearing God. Why? Fearing God. Who's that? Right? Doctrine. Beginning wisdom and how we walk. Therefore, it influences, it impacts how we live or how we walk. And we walk or we live in that wisdom or that fear of the Lord. Faithful preaching calls us to those things with wisdom, wisdom that is based out of God's word. And then notice the intended audience of this faithful preaching. It is everyone. He says it three times. We warn everyone. We teach everyone. And then the next point, he wants to present everyone. It is not only some elite, extra special, or extra smart people who need to be warned and taught with biblical wisdom. Basically, it just really comes down to this. It's not someone else. It's you. And there's, there's aspects of this, of a, what we could call a Colossian heresy. We haven't really interacted with it very much. We'll get to it a little bit more as to what exactly Paul is trying to oppose. But one of the things that Paul was trying to oppose, trying to piece together based off what he said, who was harming the Colossian church were people that were saying, like, yeah, there's actually, we have, we have a, a niche on this. We, we have a corner on truth and on Christ and on wisdom through our experience and through our extra uh, mystical type knowledge. Like we're the special ones. And then there's you guys. And Paul's like, that's just not true. The gospel isn't for someone else. 
And faithful preaching isn't for someone else. Faithful preaching is for you. You need to be warned. You need to be taught. You need wisdom. Right? You are God's intended audience as well as my intended audience, which I hope is the line for the same things, not just for somebody, all those other people who can think about and read about and talk about the doctrine. No, you need to be warned and taught. You need wisdom. And it's for everyone, Christians and non-Christians. Non-Christians need to be warned about the path, the broad path that leads to destruction that's found by many. They need to be warned about the dangers of that path. They need to be instructed on who God is, what God expects of us. And it's for every Christian, men and women, young and old. Whoever you are, you need faithful preaching, the practical and the doctrinal. Faithful preaching centers on Christ. It includes practice and doctrine, and it, it pursues spiritual maturity. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. I wonder how many of you have been asked how you were doing today. I think we could, without preparation, uh, we could have a congregational response time. I said, how are you? And probably all of you would say, fine. It's basic. We are all fine nearly all of the time. That's remarkable that we're fine. Uh, Fred's taught that sometimes when he says fine, uh, there's a little bit of a, a bit of a bite to it. Now, there's a movie that's, that points out that fine does not mean fine. If I were to ask you and you said fine, if I were to ask Paul, though, Paul, how do you think we're doing? Paul had never met the Colossians. He'd only heard about them from Epaphras or others who had interacted with them. Paul, how are the Colossian believers doing? And you could, I think you could have asked this about the Thessalonian believers, uh, the Galatian believers, the Ephesian believers, the Laodicean believers, uh, anybody. Paul, how are, how are the believers 2,000 years from now in a hurricane West Virginia, in the United States of America, you might say, well, where? Uh, but how are they doing? And he'd say, well, they're in danger. They are uninformed. They're simple or foolish, and they're immature. <laughs> right? That's, like the, that's the subtext of this. Right? We're, we're in danger, so we need to be warned. We are either, we're uninformed, so we need to be taught. We are either simple, lacking wisdom, or foolish, opposing wisdom. So we need the warning and proclaiming, the proclaiming through warning and teaching in all wisdom. And they're immature. They, they need these things in order to be presented mature in Christ. These, these ideas, danger, in danger, uninformed, simple, foolish, immature, these are our default states unless they are opposed. This is, this is your default, right? There's no, there's no neutrality. Okay, there's no, like, you take your foot, uh, got a standard shift, put that in neutral, foot off, well, the gas wouldn't matter if I'm in neutral, take my foot off the brake, right? We're not level and standing still, right? We're, we're, on, uh, we're on an incline. Take your foot off the brake on that incline, and you're not in gear moving forward. What are you doing when you're on an incline? You're moving backward. Right? The, the default, the tug, the magnetic pull of our flesh and the world and the devil is to draw us away from Christ into danger, into foolishness or the complacency of simplicity, into ignorance, and to remain in perpetual immaturity. That's, that's our default. That's what we're drawn to unless they are opposed. Um, read this quote, immaturity is available for any and all who do virtually nothing about it. Did you hear? Immaturity is available for any and all who do virtually nothing about it. Maturity, on the other hand, is the fruit of days and hours of walking in the Spirit, a steady and intentional pursuit of Christ, developing a biblical value system, a healthy disdain for even respectable sins, and a strong effort to kill our besetting sins. Right? That's keeping it in gear and pushing forward. Left by ourselves, left to ourselves, we are not fine. We are in danger. We are uninformed. We are simple. We are foolish. We are immature. Don't hear me just saying, like, I'm the professional and you're 
This is true of you. I'm saying this is true of all of us, okay? I'm not, I don't wanna be part of the Colossian heresy being like, I'm, you know, me and the other elders or me and the other preachers, like we've got this, but you guys are in danger. I am in danger if I'm not opposing that, being warned and admonished by God's word and by others like you, right? I would default to immaturity, okay? I lack the knowledge of God if I'm not pursuing those type of things. This is a need that we all have. We are all in danger, uninformed, simple, foolish, immature. So God has ordained faithful preaching to oppose these things in us. So we need faithful preaching. You need faithful preaching. I need faithful preaching. That's one of the marvels. I'd never heard this in any other preaching type class. It's remarkable to me how the Holy Spirit, not that he, uh, it is remarkable, he inspired his word. Uh, he is not... Um, he does not just like drop a, a sermon in my lap. So it's, it's studying and thinking and trying to craft these type of things. And I can be preaching, having thought through, and be like, okay, I've come to the end of my process. Now I'm going to preach the sermon. It's already sat on me. Now it's time to sit on you. And I say something, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is like, yeah, that, you haven't done that. Like, oh, wow. It's like, who's, I thought I was the one preaching. It's like, no, the word is, the word is preaching. And I, it, even in proclaiming the word, I sit under the word. Not during the week, but here. It's a, Keith's, Keith's giving me some amens. He knows what I'm talking about. It's remarkable. When we teach, preach God's word, we still sit under it because it is the authority of those things. So you need faithful preaching. I need faithful preaching. The pursuit of spiritual maturity is the focus of faithful preaching. Right? Faithful preaching pursues spiritual maturity. That is its goal. That is its end. Well, what are other potential goals? Like a personal satisfaction? Just everybody just kind of coming to feel good or meeting your felt needs? You ever come across that? Come to the Lord with a need that you have? And it's from his word or, or in prayers, it's sort of like, okay, like, but let's actually set that to the side because here's, here's a bigger problem, right? Here's, it's like, I, I'd like you to deal with this one little thing that I'm sort of inconvenienced by. This is kind of like, what about this sin? I don't want to talk about that sin. It's like, yeah, that's what we're going to talk about. So like felt needs, is like we don't, we don't know what we need as much as God does. So you just come kind of like, oh, my problem is money. My problem is marriage. My problem is parenting. My problem is my job. My problem is my, my grumpy neighbors. It's like no, your, your problem is your sin and your need for Christ and your lack of spiritual maturity and your ongoing need for spiritual maturity. And that spiritual maturity is not just an instant place that we arrive at, okay? It's actually not an immediate destination or a destination that we will not actually achieve. That could sound really discouraging, but like that's actually the goal. It's the pursuit of spiritual maturity to present everyone mature in Christ. We've used this word or looked at this word before. You, you kind of run your finger back to verse 22, Christ reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And we saw that has something to do maybe with our state before God now and justification. Certainly has to do with, with a growth in our lives that we would live above reproach, that we would be holy, that we would be blameless before him. And then there's that future goal as well to where when all is said and done, that Christ by the washing of water, by the word, we'll be able to take his bride, us, the church, set her, us up, just by look at my spotless bride presented before, Father, look, look at my redeemed. Like that's, a, that's an event that takes place in history, the end of history, where the work that Jesus is doing, the new creation of which we're part, like there's a climax of it, just to like look Look at what I did with the ones that you gave me. We will have been glorified in that. Christ will be glorified in that. The Father will be glorified in that. Preaching has that same goal. Presenting everyone mature in Christ. Faithful preaching proclaims who Christ is, what he is like. That's kind of back to our first point, but into its specifics. What is Christ's character? What were Christ's words? What were Christ's actions? What were Christ's motivations? 
What were his delights? What were his responses to different people? And that's important for us to know because Christ is the standard of spiritual maturity. That's what mature in Christ means. In one sense, it's mature like Christ. Are we like him? Are you like Jesus? Do you, do you think like Jesus thought? How did Jesus thought? That's why we proclaim it. Do you act like Christ? Do you speak like Christ? Do you love the Father motivating you to love others like it, him, like it motivated him? Love for the Father. I always seek to please the Father, Jesus said. That was his motivation. This is why I'm doing everything. Please the Father because he loved the Father. Is that the motivation for you? Every, every morning, every noon, every night, every job, every time you sit down on the couch and all your work and all your rest and all your play and all your eating, all of which are gifts from God to be, good, to be enjoyed as good gifts, you say, ah, all of this, I want to please the Father. As we pursue spiritual maturity, that should be more true of us. Do we respond like he responded? He didn't just say, turn the other cheek. He turned the other cheek. Are we like Jesus? Are we spiritually mature in him? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16 is definitely a sister text to aspects of this. Paul elaborates a little bit more on this and really drives it home to the church. I love this passage. Ephesians chapter 4, something valuable for you to look at. Christ gave gifts to his church. You know the gifts that Christ gave to his church as he ascended into heaven? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, or pastor teachers. Am I that gift to you? But, and he gave those things, he gave those things to equip the saints for the work of ministry. I'm here as a pastor teacher to equip you for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, not just for me to build up the body of Christ, but to help you be building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to, here's the goal, to mature manhood or adulthood. Mature is the same word as it is here in verse 28, mature in Christ, mature manhood to the measure, well, how, t- how tall is this man, right? That's like, how, how, how tall am I when I'm, when I'm a man, dad, right? James is what, like this tall? Like, am I a man yet? Now you just be like, car, car, car. Uh, we're still working on words, but it's just like, well, no, buddy, but it's not really like a physical height, but it's kind of like, well, when you're this tall, right, you're a little bit more mature, more like an adult, right? We might say that kind of a thing to, to a child, but we have a spiritual comparison to make. Right, so try to take that. So take the door frame, all right, and you got the little pencil notches on it. Like how tall, at what age, right? And what's the goal that we're aiming at? And, it, and the goal is Christ. That's the measure of it. What, what does spiritual maturity look like? Well, it's not six foot two. It's Christ. And we're <laughs> lower, than J- lower than poor James on that. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ No longer children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, this is the body responsibility, mature believers helping to mature believers, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part, you're a part. When each part is working properly, Each part makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Faithful preaching pursues spiritual maturity and as spiritually mature people are produced by faithful preaching, they pursue spiritual maturity for other people as well. But Christ is our goal for that. Spiritual maturity, Christ-likeness is the goal of faithful preaching. But is it your goal? Like, do you care about that? for yourself or for anyone else. Be like, what are you striving for? Is it anywhere on your list, at the top of your list, be like, you know, I really want to be like Jesus. I want to measure up to the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
I see where I am, thankful for where I, for, that I'm not where I was, right? But I see all this distance that I have to go. I am not like Jesus. I need more spiritual maturity. I don't want to be a neutral. I don't want to just be holding the brakes in position. I want to be driving forward into those things. I want to be like Christ. Is that your goal, though? Like, are those the things that you say? On a daily basis and a weekly basis as you come to this gathering, you come to this gathering to say, I want to be more like Christ. I want to pursue spiritual maturity. Faithful preaching centers on Christ. It, is, it, it um, includes practice and doctrine. It pursues spiritual maturity and it depends on divine strength. Faithful preaching depends on divine strength. Verse 29, for this, everything we just said, for this I toil, struggling. Paul toiled or he labored in his ministry, both in studying and in praying and in preaching. This, this was not easy work for him. It required a, a struggling or a fighting, the, the rigor and the effort of an Olympic athlete. Paul uses the same idea in 1 Corinthians 9.25. He says, every athlete, that's the same word that he has here for a toil. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I'm not just, right? Uh, You six girls on a soccer field picking dandelions, right? Not how Paul is running on the field. They I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, right? Not like the, the tie bow or kickboxing video where you're just, ah, ah, crossover, right? Just to get your heart rate up, right? No, there's, there's a purposefulness in this boxing. I discipline my body. I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul saw he was in danger. Paul saw that he was not, right? It's like, if we're here and we'd be like, well, Paul's here. Yeah, but Jesus is here. Paul needed to pursue a measure and be measured by the stature of the fullness of Christ. So he labored, he struggled, he agonized with all of these different things. But this is a really important passage. And do you know why it's such an important passage? Not just because of like, well, hey, work hard. Work harder, study more, right? Do more, it all depends on you, man. Faithful preaching, be a faithful preacher. If you don't do it, boy, you better work hard at this. I'm so thankful for what Paul said. He's, I toil, I struggle, uh, but it's with all his energy. His energy that he powerfully works within me. All ministry labor, hear this. All ministry labor, all faithful preaching is in vain if the Holy Spirit is not at work. Where did the energy for Paul's toil and struggle come from? God powerfully working within him. Christ in him, the hope of glory. He was plugged in to the divine power source that was in him and with him. Therefore, he was able to endure this work. Once again, Paul didn't just fill up his tank and then go off on his own, see how much he could do, and then come back to get refilled. He's like, no, I need Christ in me. And Christ powerfully working within me, giving me energy, Right then, and I work, and I toil, and I struggle, and it's hard. But He strengthens me for that. God is glorified by God working. God working through His Word, proclaimed by His people to His people. God is glorified by God working through God's Word, proclaimed by God's people to God's people. That's what's glorifying to God. How much of me was in that? That's secondary to what God is going to do. God is not glorified by men working in their own strength, sharing their own wisdom. I've got, I could bore you about coffee. I could talk too much about disc golf. um, Rudimentary woodworking. Some music. um, Ramble about random history things that I've learned. That's pretty much what I've got. Me. That going to lead you to spiritual maturity? No. So those are just side things, maybe side things that shouldn't be emphasized as much. 
But God's word is what you need. So I want to get up and I want to proclaim that to you. Not my best thoughts, because they're worthless. God's thoughts are priceless, though. This text is very relevant. Uh, it's very helpful to me. I'm, I'm, I'm working on trying to underline more in my Bible, and I've got verse 29 underlined. Probably going to underline verse 28, too. Probably have the whole book underlined by the time we're done, which is why I don't underline. It's very relevant to me. It's very helpful to me as a pastor who preaches weekly to ask, am I preaching faithfully? And to be able to say, and this is what that looks like. So a biblical description I can compare my preaching to, see how I measure up. Is my preaching faithful according to biblical standards? But perhaps you've been wondering, it's like, oh, that's all great. So it's like, do you remember you're not actually at a, like a pastor's conference? Peter, do you remember that we come and we hear you preach, but we're not preaching? So like, great. You just talk to yourself for... 45 minutes? How is this helpful for you? I think there are three ways that this is helpful for you. It's, it's helpful to you, first of all, because you need to hold others to this standard. Well, who do I mean by others? First, me. Right? You have a responsibility as members of this body, part of God's household. You have a responsibility to hold me to, are, am I preaching Christ? Am I faithfully centering it on Christ, being practical and doctrinal? Am I pursuing spiritual maturity for you? Am I depending on the Holy Spirit? You need to hold me to that standard. You also need to hold to that standard anyone that you listen to or watch online. Whatever Christian books you read, is this centered on those aspects of the gospel or is there a foundation that's something else? Is it practical and doctrinal? Is it actually leading you to spiritual maturity? And obviously you can't be like, well, is that preacher dependent on the Holy Spirit or not? Like, just like you can't really ask that. You can pray for them and pray for me. You need to hold me to that, anyone else that you listen to or read. Whoever replaces me when the time comes, don't know when that'll be, but whoever that is, like you need to have this grounded in your mind and this text rooted that whoever else stands in this pulpit to preach to you, to your children, to your grandchildren, generations, forever and ever, that they proclaim Christ faithfully. You need to hold them to that. Elders, future elders, whoever that might be, right? The body, And, when the t- and, and uh, pastors of the next church, if the Lord leads you somewhere else, right? Kids going to college, do you go somewhere else to college, right? Church is not a secondary consideration. The gathering of God's people is a primary consideration. So is that person, when you go and sit, is that a faithful preacher? That's, this is helpful to you for that, holding others to this standard. This is helpful in you because you need to follow this pattern yourself. Because it's not just faithful preaching from me that centers on these type of things, but the same idea is just like, boy, I need to be Christ-centered in my thinking. I need to be thinking practically and doctrinally as I come to God's word. I need to pursue spiritual maturity. I need to depend on the Holy Spirit. That's not just preaching. You need Christ proclaimed in your own life. You need proper biblical doctrine and practice. You need to pursue Christ-like maturity, and you must live dependent on divine strength. So that's help for you excuse me, help in you. And then there's help, it's helpful through you as well because you have a calling to continue this ministry to others. Like, I'm gonna be a a preacher, I'm gonna be a pastor too? No, most of you aren't gonna be, that's okay. But this is not limited to that. The ministry of building up the saints to maturity began with Christ, expanded with the apostles, and continues to this day through faithful pastors. But what do faithful pastors do? They equip the saints for the work of ministry so that the body of Christ is built up. Because every Christian is to speak the truth in love so that we can all grow up in every way into him who is the head, building itself, the body, building itself up in love. So this is a ministry that you have a responsibility for. Faithful proclamation does not only happen behind a pulpit. Interestingly, Paul will use the same words Later, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, when he speaks of the responsibility and opportunity, right, obligation and privilege, twofold, Paul will speak of the responsibility and opportunity each member of the body of Christ has in relation to one another. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching 
and admonishing or warning one another in all wisdom. These are not similar words. They are the exact same words. What Paul did for the people of God, the people of God were to do for the people of God. In whatever areas you have influence, and even if that influence is just the opportunity or the ability to speak, you need to continue this ministry. Member to member, brother, sister, right? Family of God, brother and sister to brother and sister, teacher to student, student to teacher, neighbor to neighbor, spouse to spouse, parent to child, child to parent, family member to family member. God has purposely placed you exactly where you are. So seize the opportunities that he gives you to proclaim Christ. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that everyone may be presented mature in Christ. Toil toward this end. Struggling with all his energy that he is and will powerfully work within you. And may God be glorified. Faithful proclamation of Christ as he works in us and through us. Thank you for Christ. Father, thank you for your word. Forgive us for when we want to proclaim other things or when we fail to warn, fail to teach, fail to exercise wisdom. Forgive us when we have a lesser goal than presenting everyone mature in Christ. Forgive us for not toiling, we're not struggling or for toiling and struggling with our energy that we powerfully work in ourselves instead of being dependent on you and on your spirit. You've given us everything that we need for life and godliness. May you be glorified as you use your word to sanctify your people through your people. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.